It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 336 of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Jill. Um, Adam is not here for the introduction with me. It's just me. And this is also um, another one of my ALA Midwinter interviews. I think I only have one more left. I can't remember. And uh, today's episode, though, is an interview I did with Karen Russell about her new short story collection, Orange World, and other stories this collection is so good, y'all. I, it's so good. It is so good. And um, if you have read anything by Karen Russell, she wrote the book Swamplandia a couple of years ago, among other things, of course. Um, she has a really unique point of view. And the stories she's tell are just so imaginative, and yet they feel very rooted in um, our world, which I love so much about all of it. And she's just delightful in person. I think I was the first person who interviewed her about the book. That's always sort of what happens with these interviews we do at um, trade shows because the authors bring, uh, uh, the publishers bring authors who might have books that aren't coming out for months um, and they haven't actually had to be interviewed about them quite yet. So uh, Karen and I had a really great discussion about Orange World and her writing and sort of how she structured the short story collection, which is, you know, different from writing a novel. Um, and yeah, so that's today's episode. If you want to get a hold of us, you can go to our website, professionalbooknerds.com. All of our social links are there. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at ProBookNerds. And you can email us at professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com. So I think that's all I have for you today. Um, it's Monday. Let's go and do this thing, right? And I hope you all enjoy this episode of the Professional Book Nerds Podcast. Hi, everyone. This is Jill. And with me today is Karen Russell, a Pulitzer Prize finalist and a Guggenheim and MacArthur Fellow, best known for her book Swamplandia exclamation point. I just love the exclamation point. That's like my favorite part. Um, and she has a new collection of short stories out called Orange World and Other Stories. Thank you so much for coming on. Oh, thanks so much for having me. So can you give our listeners a brief introduction to Orange World and Other Stories? Yes, I will do my best. Um, <laughs> this is my very first interview of any kind for this book. Okay. So, um, these, these stories I wrote over a five-year period where uh, I went from just bouncing around continents to living in Portland, which is kind of a shock to me, Portland, Oregon. And um, I got married, I bought a home, I had my son. So personally, it was a time of a lot of seismic change, but very happy change. And then globally, as I don't have to explain to anyone, it was a time of just right. apocalyptic anxieties and a feeling that we had completely betrayed our compact with nature and with one another. And so I think these stories really grew out of just like a, a season of extreme hopes and fears um, that will not be unfamiliar, I think, to anybody just alive in this country right, right. now. Um, and, they're, and they're short stories, um, and I think they all have kind of wacky premises, but I'm hoping that uh, as strange as they might seem, there will be something familiar to readers. 
that will feel kind of in, in conversation with what we've all lived through this this past half decade. Yeah, apocalyptic anxiety. That's a that's a good way of describing it. Yeah, <laughs> it's interesting to read what's coming out now because you sort of understand the you know you can source it back to certain yep. things, right? So I um, uh, there's a book in uh, story in here called The Bog Girl, which is about um, a boy who falls in love with a two thousand year old girl that he pulls out of a bog. Sure, like you do, like you do. Um, but I think that one, I was really just thinking about this season of like tremendous thawing and sort of what's coming to light. And, um, you know, not just ecologically, but also sort of we've been living through a period where you see what happens if there's this past that we haven't reckoned, yeah. reckoned with at all. This very violent past that we've kind of papered over. So what happens when you exhume, you know, this literal right. <laughs> darkness? Right. Yeah, that's a good way of putting that. Uh, Having written novels, I mean, I'm assuming you've written short stories in the past, mm -hmm. but sort of, what is the transition like yeah. as a writer? I think I, my first collection, uh, St. Lucie's Home for Girls Raised by Wolves, which is kind of a mouthful, was all, was all stories, like very strange stories, mostly set in like a bonkers um, version of the Florida Everglades. Okay. Uh, kind of the Florida Keys. You know, I, I grew up in South Florida. So I think like... Uh, stories are my home. I know it's a funny thing. I, I often feel like some of my, even my good reader friends, with story collections, it's almost like they suspect that the author just took out a lint roller and like went through their drawers or something and just like picked up whatever fragments are around. I think it's such an art and very difficult. It, yes. Very, very difficult to write a short story that works. Agreed. Agreed. My background is uh, in creative writing and I did short stories in college and yeah. I have not done it since. It's so hard. It's really an uncompromising <laughs> form. I mean, and um, yeah, the, the they're my favorite, I think. I um, really grew up on short stories and um, really love, you know, Cosmic Comics by Calvino, which is so disarming and totally charming and then also deeply philosophical mm -hmm. in a sly way. Saunders, you know, George Saunders, who is yeah. such a such a god, so everybody, you know, in our in our generation. Um, Kelly Link, I love. Um, Carmen uh, Marie Machado, more recently, I just thought those were incredible stories. So I think it's, I think it's a good season in America for, yeah. for stories right now. But it was, um, just to get way back to your question, I, I've only managed to write one novel, so I actually feel like that is the harder <laughs> transition. Hard I was like very happy to return to stories. <laughs> That's fair. Would you ever write another novel? Do you think I've been trying? Oh. I've been trying, but it's such a different game. It I is. mean, you leave the land for a really long time. My friend said she's like, it's kind of like spelunking in a cave, but you have no idea where the walls or the floor of the cave is. <laughs> Whereas with a story, I think there's also this way where I really, you know, I like to come up with these sort of. Um, that shit what ifs yeah <laughs> and just look at there's a way where like you can really through a conceit you can corral off a territory that feels bounded to me I'm like okay well now I can play and imagine and ricochet around because there's sort of like the ice skating rink is in place yep. you know what I mean I um, think what I like about uh, your stories and um, is that they seem so Believable, like this could totally like happen. I'm glad it reads that way. Because <laughs> I, I mean, I read the title story because um, it was in the New Yorker. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it just seems totally believable that this situation. I was like, oh yeah, this seems totally natural. It's normal. <laughs> and I think, and you know, 
it gets to a point where you feel like this character is the only one going through this and then she meets these other moms they're like oh yeah we know what you're talking about I'm like oh this is like a thing okay yeah no this is again <laughs> totally believable I'm so happy that's, so that's the, this title story Orange Girl that was the last story I wrote and um I sort of thought of these as landscape stories. You okay. Know, they take place. One is sort of like a Nebraskan farmer who raises literal tornadoes. Yeah. You know, and just sort of the path of destruction that you can track uh, in in that red state. Um, and then there's there's one that's sort of set in Oregon, um, in the Oregon mountains during the Great Depression, where these girls think they're going to a fabulous party at a ski lodge that turns out to be the wrong party in. Um, a haunted lodge filled with ghosts, you sure. know, so they're, they're, they're sort of diff- different little miniature snow globe universes, and Orange World is really, like, the only one, I think, that feels very, very close to my own experience, with with the exception that, it, you know, it's about this new mother trying to navigate this strange train of new motherhood, and she um, is really afraid for the life of her child, so she's made a deal with a, with a devil right. that she will um, breastfeed him every night. Right. And it felt very plausible to me too. I have to say, Jill, plausible is the right word for it. I think, I and I think that's what I. They're, you know, the stories are sort of kind of quirky but plausible. They're just right away, like, yeah, that makes. Of course, I would was alone. Something. I mean, the the terror, the animal terror that I felt at that time myself. We had, you know, a difficult pregnancy, and I just really was negotiating with whatever was listening. Right. And I was thinking too, you know. Also, I was I was just reading all these stories. You know, there are these mothers whose children are being ripped away from them by ice officers. There's these, you know, yep. mothers in Beijing who, who are afraid to breathe the air. You know, so you feel connected in this mammalian way to all of these other people on the planet who are so terrified for their loved ones and willing to do anything to protect them. And you see how vulnerable fear makes people. I was thinking about that a lot. I think like how you lose your way a little bit sometimes when you're not kind of here. And there is this turn in the story where, you know, I hope that it reads like, I mean, not to give things away, but I hope that readers are like, well, this lady's bonkers. She's having some, like, delusive event in her, like, postpartum mania. Right. Like, you know, I feel like that's often how female characters are regarded in the world, where yeah. doctors are like, you are hysterical. Yep. Like, <laughs> your hormones have deranged you. It's just you. like postpartum thing right. or whatever. Yeah. And, uh, and those fears... I, it's a sublime terror, and I think maybe women aren't always taken seriously, you know, in this society particularly, when there are very warranted reasons to, you right. know, to, no, to for feel sure. like you're in peril. Right. And, um, I mean, I remember feeling that way, certainly. So she goes to this new mom's group, sort of reluctantly, and discovers that, like, all the other new moms are like, oh, yeah, of course, yes, that devil. Like, that's... <laughs> and I... Yeah, you, you really shouldn't feed him. <laughs> You know, and I think that was part of my experience too. It's sort of in the way that it was so unique, it was so like freakish and wondrous to become a mom. But also, you know, you're not, it's not the first time this has happened on the planet, but it was the first time it had happened to me. (laughs) Right. And there was so much I didn't know. I felt so totally at sea. So it was both like a little humbling and sort of a relief (laughs) when like all of these other women were like, oh yeah, you know. Your, <laughs> your your vivid feverish dreams, yeah, those are you know Still they did all yeah. there was that, and I, I think too I've been thinking a lot not to yammer on and on but there's a, the idea of like an individual protagonist or hero or heroine on their own like mm-hmm. existential battle, yeah. just conceiving a plot that way or like the man versus nature, even like these ingrained ways that we sometimes are trained to read and think about our own lives. It's a really lonely story. Mm-hmm. It's a really lonely story. And I think it's hard to get yourself out of, you know, um, whatever private hell you might be in alone. You know, and so I was thinking about that a little bit too. I mean, 
Um, I, and it was also, you know, Me Too was happening. Right. There was a real feeling that, like, wow, we could come out of the shadows. These experiences that might have been so private and so hellish, you know, horrifyingly are ubiquitous. And there's a real, there is a nightmarish dimension to that. But then it's also sort of like, well, welcome to the sunlight and we're together and we can maybe, you know, push the needle. Right. From, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, it was really wonderful. And I also like how, you know, this is what it's about, but it's also about something much bigger, you know? Like, this is the story that you're telling, but it's not, it's, it's not just that story. There's other stuff that you're talking about and happening about, and I was thinking about it, how you have the new moms and the old moms, and the old moms are like, no, you can't do that. Like, don't do that. Don't feed him. And the new moms are like, no, you don't understand. Like, this is what I need to do. It And it's sort of that, like, mommy judgment thing right yes. there. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Just happening right there about the devil, which just, again, yeah. makes perfect sense somehow. <laughs> just like, <laughs> no, I'm so happy that I read that way. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was really wonderful. We're going to take a quick break to talk about today's sponsor. This week's sponsor, The Great Courses Plus. As avid readers, we are constantly looking to further our knowledge and learn as much as we can, which is why we love The Great Courses Plus, and we know you will too. The Great Courses Plus was founded on the idea that education should be accessible to everyone, and this great streaming service makes it possible to learn from the brightest minds out there, the ones that most of us would never have access to, such as professors from Harvard and Yale and Stanford and experts from the National Geographic and the Smithsonian. This is college-level learning, but without student loans, which is always good. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and not only that, uh, we recently learned that they have the Great Courses Plus app, which makes this possible to learn whatever way works best for you. Uh, You can watch the courses both on your phone or on your computer, or you can just listen to the lectures just like you're doing right now with our podcast. Right. And uh, we were told that I'm very excited to try this out myself. You can also stream it on your Roku or your smart TVs and things like that. So... When you go into the Great Courses Plus, you're going to see a whole bunch of various categories that you can choose videos and lectures on. Uh, They have tons and tons of them, everything from travel and cooking. But being that we're the professional book nerds, we both flocked right to the literature one. Yeah, we did. Uh, So we're going to talk about one main one that's really awesome that we want to recommend you. But the first thing is I'm reading a book that's a retelling of King Arthur. So I went into the Great Courses Plus and searched for King Arthur. And sure enough, there's a whole lecture all about the origins of King Arthur. So I've been nerding out about that one personally. I know that you also found one that you're a fan of. I did. I found one that's all about the Dead Sea Scrolls, which is just a fascinating thing to me. And I will tell you, it cracked me up that um, the professor who was running the course in the very in, in the beginning in the introduction dispelled some myths and um threw some shade to dan brown oh that's amazing oh that makes me so happy <laughs> <laughs> um so those are the ones that jill and i have just started really enjoying but we also recommend that you check out great utopian and dystopian works of literature this is a fascinating exploration into the evolution of this genre from hg wells to margaret atwood there's jill. an entire one of the entire sessions is 30 minutes on Margaret Atwood and, like, environmental dystopia. Yeah, that is so great. And one of the awesome things about this particular um, set of lectures is that it really dives into the impact these works have on the course of history as well. So The Great Courses Plus is wonderful, and we have a special offer for our listeners that I'm going to let Jill tell you about. Yeah, we do. So you can unlock 
the world of knowledge and the great courses plus right now they are giving our listeners the professional book nerds listeners that's you guys that's you guys a special limited time offer which is a free month of unlimited access to their entire library so as adam said when you go in to the great courses plus if you take advantage of this special offer you will be able to listen or watch any of the great courses all of them all right, so in order to get started, you're going to get a free month of access, as Jill said, and you're going to go to thegreatcoursesplus.com slash probooknerds. I know that was a lot, so I'm going to say it again. It's thegreatcoursesplus.com slash probooknerds, and we'll put that in our show notes and on our social so you, you can't miss it. Um, we were really excited about this sponsorship because it really aligns with everything that we feel like we represent. And obviously, if you're coming to us every single week looking for book recommendations and all sorts of good stuff, all of this is just going to really be wonderful for you guys as well. So definitely go check it out. Again, one last time, it's thegreatcoursesplus.com slash probooknerds. And now we'll let you get back to the interview. So I, I, um, I'm I trying to remember if we've actually had someone on the podcast who has done a short story collection or that that's what we were specifically talking about. And I'm curious how the order of the stories came together because I'm assuming it's not just random. It's not just random. Right. Um, I know I with the other two collections I've done, it felt a little more like making a mixtape for like your right. pal, you know, like really kind of thinking about... Remember how, I mean, that dates me a lot. Oh, no, I, I totally understand I what you're about. I remember obsessively yeah. thinking about the, the order, order of, like, the songs on a mix. Side A versus side B. Oh, yeah. Right, exactly. And you're like, what journey am I taking <laughs> them on? I'm like, wow, you know, this. <laughs> right. This, right, really intense uh, punk song. Now we'll need, like, a <laughs> mellow out with some Tori Amos. Yeah, of course. Whatever. Naturally, naturally. And with this one, I think that I really felt like there was a through line, an almost chronological through line for me. And it was... I mean, I can track it. I don't know that it's even necessary for readers to be able to see it, but I felt like, okay, I really went from like a blown spore that we had no no rooted home um, to this sort of new life uh, with my with my child in the shadow of this mountain, mm-hmm. it's a very unlikely landing place, I think. And um, and so I think it's it sort of starts with some characters, you know, these grifter girls who are desperate; they're just trying to survive in the Great Depression. Um, and then it moves through sort of different kinds of hellscapes. I sure, think, sure. Uh, before landing in that last devilish one. <laughs> but, um, uh, you know, I really, right before the last story, which I felt like this is going to be a landscape story, but it will be more of like a psychological landscape mm-hmm. in some ways. There's a story called The Gondoliers about these mutant women in South Florida. It's sort of set in this future where... Florida's underwater, basically, and they're they're gondoliers. They're like pulling the canals of this new Florida, and they echolocate. They like sing their way around. They sure. figured out this new way to navigate this sort of um, watery peninsula. And I wanted that one to be there because I sort of felt like I had already done a little bit of a tour of these more apocalyptic spaces, and um, I've just been thinking a lot about like where can we find hope right now? Yeah. And I thought maybe there is like a little utopian glimmer of some unborn world. Like I, I just want to try, you know, I don't, please God, let us course correct so that we don't drown all right. of our coastal cities. Um, but that one without really, but I, I really thought that one had a little bit of a sense of, okay, 
if there is this sort of like fiery orange world, you know, where we're watching sort of the worst of human nature um, kind of run its course on this planet, maybe maybe there needs to be another note to sound, which is like we might be able to imagine another kind of relationship to nature and to this place. There might be there might be something else on our horizon, you know, another way of existing. So, right. Um, but that felt a little like the mixtape, you know, where you're, where you're, you're like, okay, I, I guess I've stunned people with the hammer. Now maybe we need to hear a different Softer. kind of music. Yeah, yeah. Know, for a minute. No, I mean, I think... Cue up the dolphins. <laughs> I think, though, that is... I think, as a reader, I do sort of like knowing how collections like this are put together because I do sort of assume there is some level of mixtaping. Like, there yeah. is a journey that the writer has taken me on um, even though I can't see it, I, you know. You feel it. Hopefully right. you feel yeah. the, the, that there's sort of lines of tension throughout and echoes. I thought about echoes a lot. So, okay. you know, I, um, there's that story about the tornado farmer, mm-hmm. which for me became really a little bit of story about addiction, you know. Um, this person who's, who's, you know, he excels at a furious formation of these dangerous weather systems. And that kind of roaring gives him a peace. You know, he needs that to feel at peace, even as it's sort of like destroying his family and maybe the atmosphere. Right. You know, um, the landscape, certainly. And that's, I put that next to a, another story called Black Corfu, um, set in 1620 with this sort of like um, bizarre doctor figure. And I don't know that even readers would, would necessarily consciously attend to sort of the echoes there. But it's, I think it's another story a little bit about um, how uh, how dangerous uh, a certain kind of addiction can be. And, um, so a little, you know, there's sort of some resonances where I, you don't want to have two stories that feel too close next right. to each other, I think. You know, I tried not to put too many, you know, two first-person stories next to each other, things like that. But I, I was thinking a little bit, like, well, here's some secret echoes, you know. There's sort of different ways that different personalities confronted with, like, similar dangers, how it plays out. That makes sense. So we are, of course, at a library conference. And I have to ask if you have any, like, did you go grow up going to the library? Oh, yeah. Do you have any fun memories about? Yeah, Coconut Grove Library, Coral Gables Library. And that was, like, our whole weekend. Like, we begged to go there. And I had a deal with my mom, um, who was, I think, I'm not sure, she, like, internalized some suspicion of fantasy and sci-fi books, which, of course, is all I wanted to read. Right. I think because they put, like, this purple dragon sticker on the cover. <laughs> yep. Like, of, like, a cross-eyed dragon. And then she was like, this is not literature. Although, like, <laughs> absolutely it was. You know, it'd be, like, Ray Bradbury or something. Yep. It was that that sticker, you know, with the best of intentions. I think they kind of screwed me at the, at the <laughs> library in Miami. Um, but I could get a book from that section if I got, you know, like a classic, mm-hmm. which was, it turned out to be a great diet to be on. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I would, or horror, same. So I would get, you know, Jane Eyre and then I would get Cujo. And I believe that it was that diet that made me the writer I am today. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good and balance. I, it was, and not, not only was it good, but speaking of echoes, you know, I would read something like Jane Eyre and be like, well, mom, this is a, this is a really deranged tale. <laughs> It is. There's a ghost in a red room, and I'm on, like, page two, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and and similarly, I would read, like, the Martian Chronicles, and it would be actually a deeply human story that was intensely lyrical. Um, 
and beautifully written. So I think in a nice way, accidentally, I learned that some of these boundaries between genres or this like these high low just kind of biases we can have are bogus, you yeah. know, and that there are many different ways to tell the same story, you know. Absolutely. Um, and that was a good, but I loved, oh my God, I loved that library. And I remember like crossing over, there was, in, in the Pearl Gables library particularly, there's like a freezing space because it's Miami, so they like air condition that place, so it's just sure. like an ice box. And it was like the day I got to like make the passage from like the kids section to the adult section, you would have thought it was like a polar, <laughs> polar saga. Like I just remember it as being this endless, I was like, dun, 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 dun. like my mom was like, I will stay here with your brother and sister, you can go pick out a book. And I was like... Oh my God! <laughs> I'm all alone. They're letting yeah. me out. And it was, it's a special. I mean, book nerds mm -hmm. know this, but it's a special kind of trespassing. It is. In some ways, your lives are so regulated. You have no autonomy, but you can choose a book and go wherever you want. And you can you can actually go places maybe you're not quite ready to go yet. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Um, in an exciting way. Right. Oh, that's so fun. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so at the end of all of our interviews, we have something we call the Nerd Nine, which Yay. are sort of like a little lightning round. <laughs> Don't put too much thought. But what was the last book you finished reading? Oh, my God. I know. Hard um, one. Brown Bear, Brown Bear. My son. That's an honest answer. That's a that crazy is a very... story. Have you read it? Oh, my mom is a preschool teacher. Yes. I am very familiar Listen, with Brown what Bear. did they see? I feel like everyone's in on something. The yellow duck, the blue horse, all those kids. <laughs> And you end the book and you're like, they're all, what are they seeing? You're there. No, no one's telling you. It's, it's circular. Oh God, the, that's amazing. We need to get like McNulty on that. That might be the most honest answer we've ever had to that question. What is your yeah. favorite place to read? Um, I like to read in my home, in my freezing home in front of my space eater. Isn't that sad? It's my favorite place. It's no. like the roaring, like a roaring Yuletide fire. Yeah, sure. No, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, what was the book that made you fall in love with reading? When I was young or recently? Either. Whenever. Whenever. I will just say recently I read um, Idra Nove, um, her uh, Ways to Disappear, about a translator who disappears into a tree um, in Brazil. All right. Idra Nove. And her most recent book also is amazing. But that yeah, she's she reminded me of what a, what a pleasure it is to be a reader. Uh, one place you would like to travel to that you have not yet been to? Oh, man. Um, there's 50,000 places I have not yet been to brain what's happening <laughs> um there's actually it's the globe like <laughs> okay no I, I i would like to go to um chile okay i'd like to go to patagonia all right favorite holiday oh halloween coffee or tea coffee cats or dogs dogs favorite food right now french fries are having a renaissance for me yeah that's not that's new that's recent okay but. all right uh, and if you could have dinner with one person, dead or alive, who would it be? Stephen King. Oh, yes. We have had, I'm, you know, we've been doing this podcast for three years. Something about Stephen King resonates with so yep. many writers yep. of all genres. It's true. Of all genres. He is like the sire of all of our imaginations. <laughs> and like you meet people and that's their reading history and you feel it. You're like, you are my strange sibling. I know. I know, it is just... He's doing a lot of work for our species. I really he think is. he's like a special... He can like... He's like an like an organ outside of our bodies processing the nightmares. And generating them. I all know. of it. He's and, doing you know, all of it. And he... He... If you actually... I mean, I don't... I never like met him, but I've heard him speak. And uh, it's so surprising. You know, this human being in front of me. And you're like, where do you get these ideas from? Yeah. Because you are not what I would have imagined someone who writes these books yeah. are like. 
Yeah. <laughs> the, I, I remember I listened to Salem's Lot on audiobook, and he narrated it, and he's so sort of soft-spoken. It yeah. shocked me. It was not at all as I was imagining. He, he, um, he blurred my novel, and I thought that was like the... I mean, I was ready to just like... Just call it then. I was yeah. like, I retire. Like what a generous thing. I mean, I, I was like a new young writer. Yeah. And it was, he's, he's a very generous person, too, I think. I remember seeing him on a Colbert show, and he had, like, they had stacked up all of the books he'd written. <laughs> and then Stephen Colbert was like, when are you going to stop writing? And he was like, when they are so tall that if they fall, they kill me. <laughs> I think he was that he went on with his Carnegie medal. He went on with his medal. Like, he like wore his medal off. Yeah, I think he is like a sensationally kind person. He is with like with a real feral gift and know? really good with short stories. Oh, Whenever yes. I I mention Stephen King and people are like, I'm not really into horror. I'm like, read his short stories because that like yeah. if you read his short stories. That is a man who is so good at the craft, just right there in those short stories. They're so good. And even if you don't like horror, that's okay, but those short stories are wonderful. Yeah, I remember, I mean, I remember staying up all night to read him, you know, when I was in, at a a really early age, staying up all night to read him. And like going to my sixth grade math test or something, (laughs) just looking like a veteran of war because of what I had survived and read his books. Just like, and like being afraid of the plumbing in my house. I mean, accurately, it is terrifying, but you know. Being like, I don't need to shower for some time. Yep. I think it's fine. Yeah. I totally understand. <laughs> Dry shampoo. Thank you, Stephen King. Yep. <laughs> there you go. Uh, finally, what would you like readers to take away from Orange World and other stories? You know, I put this uh, this handy quote, and the epigraphs are really handy because that is like a distilled way. Someone else has said it, thank God. Yeah. But uh, it's this um, sociologist, Avery Gordon, and she has this beautiful quote that I hope I don't mango where she says, um, I'm going to read it. It's right oh, here. there you I'll go. just read yes, it. That's go ahead. easy. Then I'll have to like... <laughs> uh, I couldn't think of any cities on the globe, so it's probably a better idea if I just, just read it quickly. Um, we need to know where we live in order to imagine living elsewhere. We need to imagine living elsewhere before we can live there. So I think... I think that's what I... If, if, I hope that this is sort of raw materials for people to build their own new worlds. <laughs> that's what books have always been for me. And... Um, yeah, I, I hope that as sort of like hellish as some of the scenarios are, that there really are those utopian glimmers of sort of these unborn worlds, you know, and that and that readers maybe take a little something and start to imagine their own their own planets. I love it. Thank you so That's much it. for coming on the podcast. Jeff, Karen. It was so fun. Thank you. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen podcasts, visit evergreenpodcasts.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Adam Sokol and Jill Grunewald and presented by Rakuten Overdrive. For more information, visit professionalbooknerds.com. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.